0: that is a harsh lesson in business.
3: Sports is not uh, as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together.
2: I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech.
4: It
3: opened up so many more doors. The show is
2: called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen
1: to The Deal Deal on Spotify.
3: It's time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack had you covered with all the news and notes surrounding Surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. And welcome in. It is Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Hi, I'm Chris Mack, and 93.7 The Fan. How are you? I'm well. Uh, interested to talk about each of the eight teams that were eliminated in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And that's exactly what we're going to do today. We're going to bounce around a lot. Uh, we're going to bounce around from Boston to New York, to Minnesota, to Colorado, to Tampa, to Long Island, to LA, to Winnipeg, all over North America in an attempt to find out what happened to each of these eight teams this season and in the first round in particular that led to their elimination. The Bruins, the Rangers, the Wild, the Avs, the Lightning, the Isles, the Kings, and the Jets. And find out where their off seasons go because I think that gives you an inkling and an idea of how the Penguins offseason may be handled, at least in relation to these eight teams, right? This is a quarter of the league that was eliminated in the first round. The Penguins didn't get there, but now these eight teams will certainly affect what the Penguins do when the offseason really does start to hit mid to late June after the Stanley Cup finals are over uh, and leading into the draft and then free agency in early July. So, with no further ado, we are going to bounce, like I said, all over North America. Scott Billick from Winnipeg, uh, Andrew Knoll in L.A., Steven Rossner in uh, or on Long Island, I should say, Eric Erlinson down in Tampa, Evan Rawl in Colorado, Jesse Pierce in Minnesota, Sean Marash in New York. But we start with our guy, Scott McLaughlin, on what happened to the Bruins. And to get us started, as we take a look back at not just the first round, but the season as a whole for every team that went out in the first round, an Odyssey brother of mine, Odyssey colleague of mine from up in Beantown, WEEI, Scott McLaughlin. Scott, how are you today, man? And how's Boston handling things, given the way the Bruins went out in the first round?
0: I'm good. I think uh, the city as a whole is still pretty stunned and the Celtics now being on the verge of elimination is not helping matters up here. So true. True. Uh, yeah. So, you know, what was once a really promising spring is looking a uh, pretty bleak for Boston right now.
3: Well, what, what was it? Because the Bruins look like this unstoppable juggernaut and granted we've seen that a couple times in the last uh, decade or so, right. Where teams like the lightning a few years ago have a remarkable regular season and then they get to the playoffs. The Lightning were swept out, in their case, right, a few years ago. Um, the Bruins get bounced by a team that just barely got in in the Panthers. Was it uh, – I hate to use the term rust versus rest, but was it the Bruins not having to play a lot of high-stakes hockey down the stretch, and they came in dull, and Florida was was sharp? Uh, was, it, was it a tactical mistake, uh, a first-year head coach for the Bruins in this case? Not – pushing the right buttons against the Panthers from your, from where you sit, what, what went wrong?
0: A little, a little bit of all the above kind of broke down at every level. I do think the rest versus rust thing, I think that comes into play a little bit, Uh, especially games one and two. I thought the Panthers looked like just a far more aggressive ready team. Bruins seem to not really be ready for playoff hockey, but I thought they got that out of their system and they went down to Florida for games three and four played really well, took control of those games to control of the series. They're up three one. Like at that point that they're into the swing of it, you know, that they're playing playoff hockey. So how it all went wrong after that in games five through seven, you know, to me at that point, like not really playing meaningful hockey or whatever is that's kind of gone as an excuse here. You're five right. games into a series at that point. You got uh, it. up. Yeah, you know, so they had they had a lot of defensive breakdowns that weren't there all year. Just some terrible turnovers. Part of that is absolutely a credit to the Panthers. They're a great forechecking team. I think people are seeing that in their second round series against Toronto as well. But some of it was unforced errors. Some of it was just boneheaded plays, just blind passes in into the middle of their own zone. Two defensemen getting stuck be- below the goal line, like things that just weren't there all year that really weren't forced by Florida and were just self-inflicted wounds. Um, the goaltending certainly didn't hold up. You know, they had really like historically great goaltending all year. Lena Selmark. you know, we, we know he was dealing with something. He claims he was hurt, not injured. He says it didn't affect his play, but whatever it was, he cert- his play certainly declined as the series went on, uh, especially in games five and six. So that's a factor. They have to go to Jeremy Swayman cold in game seven.
3: How do you think Jim Montgomery handled the goaltending situation late in the series?
0: Uh, I would say not well. And I think (laughs) he even said it himself this week at his breakup press conference. He said he regretted not going to Swayman earlier. And yeah, you know, look, playoff rotations are very rare, right? Every team throughout hockey history generally picks a number one and rides them. But in this case, you know, the rotation they had really for the last four months of the season was incredible. Every every game, it was Allmark great game, Swayman great game, Allmark great right. game, Swayman like, and just kept going. So to then you know decide that you're just going to ride Allmark in the playoffs, especially when he's dealing with something, however minor they say it is it was an odd decision. And I I think they stuck with him at least one game too long. You know, he struggles in game five. He has that turnover in overtime. That really seemed like the time to go to Swayman up three, two. And, uh, you know, they went back to Allmark, and he really struggled in game six.
3: Is this team aging out Scott? Um, and and I guess the, the double barreled angle of that question is will, will Patrice Bergeron be back?
0: Yeah, that's now the big, big question of the offseason, just just like it was last offseason. Um, you know, I do think – I think David Krejci is probably the one who's more likely to retire. Uh, okay. Bergeron, I lean towards him probably retiring, but I think it's closer to 50-50. I think – I got the impression, you know, after game seven and then on breakup day that he, he's legitimately undecided and, you know, really wants to take some time to make sure he makes the right decision. Mm-hmm. but yeah i mean he's you know he's going to be 38 uh he didn't finish the season healthy he last game of the regular season suffered a herniated disc in his back he's dealt with other injuries in recent years so you know it it could be time where he just you know the physical toll has uh you know added up and and it might be time for him
3: how do do they are, are they ready i guess to to look at this you know don sweeney in, in a, a different Way and how they construct the roster, especially if if Bergeron and Krejci should both move on with their life's work. Um, they're younger on the back end, obviously, than they are up front. But they've got they've still got David Posternok's not going anywhere. Um, do they do they look to perhaps? And I thought they did a nice job at the deadline. Obviously, leading up to the deadline and building out the blue line. Do they start to look at this because of their goaltending, because of the blue line? As we've got to we, we've got to maybe invest more resources in the back end. You know, you've already got uh, Lindholm on a on a no-move clause, right? Uh, and, a, and a big, long extension to go with McAvoy. Um, do they start to look at constructing things a little bit differently? And is this maybe, to, to bring it back to a Penguin-centered question, is this sort of the rebuild on the fly that they've struggled to pull off here in Pittsburgh?
0: Yeah, I think there's going to have to be turnover and and some sort of resetting not only because, you know, if Bergeron and Krejci retire, like that's an obvious reset just for the franchise as a whole anyways, but also their cap situation. They have right. very little cap space and between unrestricted and restricted free agents, they have 11 free agents. So uh, they obviously can't keep everyone. They're going to have to maybe trade away some guys if they want to keep, you know, even three or four of those free agents. So there's going to be a lot of turnover. Um They, like you said, they do have, Solid foundation on the back end with McAvoy, Lindholm, Brandon Carlo in there as well. Mm -hmm. You know, they have the goalies. They might, if you're talking about freeing up money, like they might even consider trading one of them away to address holes elsewhere. I know a
3: team that might be interested.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Um, But yeah, up front, they'll certainly have work to do, especially at the center position. I think they they feel like they probably found one of their top two centers of the future with Pavel Zaka. Mm -hmm. That was a trade that really worked out well for them but they would have to find another one because, you know, Charlie Coyle has moved up in the past, but he's, he's limited offensively. So he, ideally he stays as your third line center. So no
3: first or second round picks this year or next year, no third round pick next year, either. Um, it, it, you mentioned the the lack of available cap space until they get some decisions, especially on Bergeron and Krejci and what they may be able to do. What's the, the biggest I guess the biggest priority for Sweeney, the, the GM, this offseason and for the organization as a whole is it just, are they kind of stuck in a holding pattern until they get an answer on Bergeron and Krejci, or can they start to push forward towards July 1st and free agency without perhaps knowing what those two may do?
0: Yeah, I think they're definitely in a little bit of a holding pattern, but there are things that they can address. You know, like they can work out the restricted deals with guys like. Jeremy Swayman and Trent Frederick. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I do think they would really love to keep Tyler Bertuzzi, who was one of those trade deadline acquisitions who fit in really well, tied for the team lead in scoring in the playoffs. Um, They could probably start those conversations and also start throwing out feelers for, you know, different guys that they might trade away to free up some of that money. So that all I think needs to happen no matter what. So they don't have to wait for Bergeron and Krejci on that, but, yeah, depending on what they do, obviously that you know will ultimately affect how they move forward this off season.
3: For people to keep an eye on the Boston Bruins from afar, Scott McLaughlin, W E E I, uh, he will keep you up to date this summer on what's going on with their off season. Anything else we should keep an eye out for, other than all the stuff you just mentioned, when the Bruins pop up this summer? Uh, how do we? What should we be looking for? I guess.
0: Well, I think it it, it is players that they might trade away, like I. Whether it is a goalie, you know, I, I think they would be more likely to hang on to Swayman. So, you know, I think there's a lot of teams that would be interested in Lena Selmark. Two years mm-hmm. left, $5 million a year. It's going to win the Vezina probably. So that would be a huge one. They have some defensemen, you know, Matt Grizzlick, Derek Forbert, that they'd probably look to move. And po- if, they, if they're going to keep Bertuzzi, possibly even a forward. You could see Taylor Hall or Jake DeBrusque pop up in trade rumors. So, okay some some big names there that they could uh you know look to move on from to both to free up cap space and to possibly recoup some draft picks maybe get into the first or second round again
3: it'll be interesting to see for for teams like both the bruins and the penguins i think scott where teams clear up cap space this summer in another tight cap crunch off season, you know who are those teams out there that have some space that may feel like they're on the right on the brink of something. I think of Ottawa off the top of my head or maybe Buffalo and are willing to make a deal like that to help free up cap space for an aging team like the Bruins or Pens and perhaps uh, find a piece that puts them over the top. Thanks for doing this today. Really appreciate it. Enjoy the summer and uh, we'll keep an eye out for everything that's going on up in Boston. Appreciate it again. Scott McLaughlin, WEEI. Thanks, Scott.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
3: Great stuff from Scott McLaughlin uh, up at WEEI in Boston. We keep it in the Odyssey family. As our friend Sean Marash of CBS Sports Radio joins me now. Uh, Miraz, ultimately your Rangers failed miserably. No, uh, we're not going to do that this time. We're not going to go back and forth like we do on Five Star Weekend on BetQL. We're going to have a serious hockey discussion. I'm ready. We're going to keep it real. Um, So what the hell happened, man? I, I really thought... Shusterkin was the key and that that would be enough to carry them through a couple of rounds um, to leave early in the first round into this devil's team that is now getting absolutely handled by Carolina in the second round. Um, What went wrong?
2: Well, I mean, there's a simple answer and there's a complex answer. The simple answer is the devil's made a goaltending switch after game two. To Akira Schmidt and he got extremely hot and the Rangers looked borderline unprepared for you know what they were doing he gave off rebounds the Rangers weren't throwing off enough shots they they love to the pass first that's what happens when you add a Patrick Kane you still have uh and I just think the type of goaltending that Schmidt brought to the table was not the type of offense the Rangers like to play as they maybe overthink things and go for that extra pass way too often but Hot goaltending didn't him in, but it's tough to swallow that when you see how much the Devils' goaltending
3: situation went in flux here in round two versus Carolina. Yeah, what struck me—you mentioned Patrick Kane in there. It, it, was he even on this team? I mean, he was—he was missing yeah. uh, spe- down the stretch, especially. But then in the playoffs, what contribute? This was supposed to be the key piece. Yeah, and he had the big goal. I guess it was in Game Two when
2: he went end to end. It was unbelievable. But after that, really nothing. I mean, at least Vladimir Tarasenko brought them a big punch. But the real problem is every time the Rangers had a power play after those first two games, they struggled mightily. And that top unit continued to feature Patrick Kane and Artemi Panarin on it, both of whom are pass-first type players more than shoot-first type players. And the Rangers, when they were cooking last year, eliminating the Penguins, eliminating the Hurricanes. It was Mika Zibanejad from the corner. It was Chris Kreider in the center. And, you know, maybe you only had Fox or Panarin passing the puck. Now you had three passers out there in that first unit Tarasenko went to the second unit that was brutal for them um they're they're limiting the power play time of guys like and Alexei Lafreniere and and kind of holding the young guys back and I think basically the Rangers in what seemed like the perfect addition just be as top heavy as possible might have added too many cooks to the kitchen and it totally disrupted where their strength already lied which was that first power
3: play unit so what happens then Tarasenko Kane just off the free agency and they use that cap. It's not a ton of cap space that frees up actually. That's like six mil. I want to say between the two of them. Um, so look, they build a strong core and they can yes. go forward with that core. And again, they have the goaltending. So I would imagine, is it just little tweaks they need this offseason, personnel-wise? I I think this is what's crazy, right? Because the
2: Rangers now have fired Gerard Gallant, which I Mm -hmm. think is a mistake. But okay, now we'll hold and and wait and see who the head coach is. The truth is, roster-wise, there will be tweaks. There might be a surprising trade, but a lot of these guys they've locked up long-term. Kreider, Panarin, Trocek, they all have no move clauses. So they're not going to go anywhere. Uh, I'm very fearful that before they have to pay a Ryan Lindgren, who's an important defenseman for them, big money, that they would move somebody like that. Could they move a Keandre Miller defenseman, something like that? Maybe. But ultimately, you got to remember, before Tarasenko and Kane arrived, this was a team that was good enough to make the Eastern Conference final a year ago. And everybody thought they were a year too early. Now you're pretty much going to bring that same core from two years ago back. Uh, but adding Vincent Trocheck, which they did a year ago. So I think you just need to calm the waters, take a deep breath, and see if the coach changes anything and gets more out of the young guys like Kako, Lafreniere, and, and Hedl to take the next step. Although, it's worth noting, they have more guys coming down the pipe. Uh, uh, Brandon Othman is a mm-hmm. guy who they think is going to be a big-time winner for them on the top six. Let's see if he's ready to go by next season,
3: and that could be kind of the influx of that next scorer they need. Okay, so if the personnel has been built out correctly, which we're led to believe, Uh, even if the deadline moves didn't quite work the way Drury wanted them to work. And it's just up to the head coaching position. Look, I don't like Gerard Gallant and the way he coaches and the way he tries to work the officiating in a series, but eh, yeah, bully act. Right. Yeah. I mean, we we know that's personal now between the penguins and the Rangers, but I'll remove myself from that for just a moment and say, I think he was the right guy for this team. I think he's the fall guy. Um, And so what, what are they looking for then in a head coach?
2: Well, I I think if you were to knock Gallant on one thing and one thing in particular, it would be being almost too hard on the young guys. I mean, they have this, the kid line is the line that obviously generated a lot of offense for them last year. Uh Uh, And I keep mentioning the Hedel, Kako, and Lafreniere. A lot of their future and foundation is built on those guys. They just lined up Lafreniere, I mean, uh, Hedel long term they feel as if they're not getting quite the returns. I mean, Kako was a number two overall pick, Lafreniere a number one overall pick. By next year, which will be year number four for Kako, year number three for Lafreniere, at some point these guys got to start becoming 30 goal scorers because uh, that's the type of you know hype they had coming in. So I think the thought was Gallant might have been holding them back a little bit, leaning on his veterans too much. Those guys were playing an average of five to six minutes less of ice time per game than some of those True. big lines. They need more power play time, and I maybe they just need a different type of not as – you know, strong willed head coach on them, but the Rangers really have a lot lying on those guys taking the next step in their careers.
3: All right. Then tell me why Larry Brooks, the New York post is making up rumors about some <laughs> weird thing where <laughs> Kyle Dubis. Uh, comes to Pittsburgh to be the Penguins GM, brings his head coach with him, and Mike Sullivan for some reason gets sent packing to the Rangers. What? Why is he making things up like this? Why? I'm why
2: not going to say he's making them up or not making them up. I will just say this: Mike Sullivan has ties to the Ranger organization. He came from the Rangers. He has, from what I understand, a relationship with guys behind the scenes, including Dolan. Uh, this could be a way for the Rangers to say, "Look, we got, we've had head coaches to get us to cups." Vigneault, who I'd bring back, Gallant got his teams to Cubs. You need a guy who could put that finishing touch on and Mike Sullivan might be that. Do I think he's the favorite? No, I don't. Uh, Do I think the Rangers might go into their minor league system for head coach? Yeah, maybe. I'm very worried that they're going to botch this, though, Mac. I think this could be what sets the Rangers back here, that they
3: fired Gallant without a true plan. Man, maybe if they had like a really somebody in a really strong leadership position, like a real stand-up guy wearing the C on their jersey. Well, they do have that. His name is Jacob Truba, but all kidding. All kidding aside, Mac,
2: this is the first I'm going to tell you. Truba was Gallant's boy. Like, that is why he was named captain of that room. And the Rangers took so long naming a captain. I wonder if he's not the captain anymore if they bring a new head coach in there.
3: That's, I I think that's, like, we, we go back and forth with each other and we bust each other's chops all the time about Truba because of him and Crosby last year in the playoffs and just Truba's track record in general. But I think that's a, for Rangers fans and for Penguins fans who are trying to get an eye on what the Rangers may do this offseason, I think that actually is a very valid point. Is there a shakeup of some sort in the leadership structure? Yeah. And how does that affect the room with a bunch of young guys that really and, are at the core?
2: And one more quick one for you. Their assistant captain, Barclay Goudreau, has won a couple cups with the Lightning. He's making a lot of money to play on a fourth line now. That's another guy I, you know you don't know. Might be stripped of an A or shipped out of here to begin with for salary.
3: So what do we look for? Um, not just uh draft weekend when deals always get made. The Rangers have only have four picks in the draft. I wanna say two yeah. of them are late. Um and, and then July first come free agency. Are they involved? Mac, I think they're going to be very quiet in free agency. I really, really do believe that.
2: I think they're going to hope that, as I mentioned, that Kid Hoffman takes the next step. And I think they're thinking that their free agents are going to come from within. The head coach is going to get the most out of Hedeck, Cockle, and Lafreniere. You know, maybe a minor, minor piece to add to like a third line because they're going to have to replace Tarasenko uh, and Kane. But overall, I think this will be a very quiet Ranger offseason outside of the head coaching search. Maybe a surprise trade, maybe, mm-hmm.
3: but I wouldn't bank on it because it takes two to tango. Okay. Good stuff. As always, Maras. Thank you. Sean Maras from the DA show on CBS sports radio, one giant step, the New York football giants podcast. Uh, wh- what else? Oh, Beck five-star weekend. We, yeah. we do that thing. Pretty yeah. important show Mac. Thank yeah. Sunday, Sunday morning. I'll be there. Um, thanks again, Maras. Later, buddy. All right. See you. Great stuff as always from Sean Maras on the Rangers. Let's go to the Western conference now as we take a spin around here on fifth Avenue face-off. To all of the cities, all of the markets that were eliminated in the first round. Um, I'll be honest, I had them going farther than, well, the first round. The Minnesota Wild eliminated in the first round by the Dallas Stars. Jesse Pierce covers them for NHL.com. Jesse, thanks for the time today. How are you?
5: Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm trying to enjoy the offseason again because the Minnesota Wild have made this a theme, it seems, (laughs) after the first round.
3: then we can hug it out over that because the Penguins five straight years... Uh, now have lost early, have been bounced from the playoffs. And so the, the common commonality here too is that Billy Garen is the GM there now in Minnesota. There are important pieces in place in Minnesota that were once uh, Penguins products, I think in particular in goal and Mark andre Fleury and Philip Gustafson. So um, I guess the first question though is, look, everyone knew that Dallas was this suffocating defensive team who might be able to choke the life out of whoever they played in the first round but it didn't really go down that way. Um, So what worked for the wild in that series against the stars? What didn't work and why are they playing golf right now?
5: They are playing golf because they can't kill a penalty to save their lives. That was absolutely detrimental. I mean, they struggled on special teams in general, but the Minnesota wild entered the playoffs without Jules eriksenek one of their key face-off guys, one of their key penalty killers and power play top power play unit guys. So that obviously hurt them. However, I think the series against Dallas was winnable. Now that's not to discredit Dallas. Obviously Jake Ottinger and was huge for them, but really I think Minnesota, when they played their game played them very well. And when they played five on five, Pocky, they played very well, almost better. Again, they were facing a Dallas star squad without Joe Pavelski as well, who was mm-hmm. injured in that first great first game, uh, courtesy of Matt Dumba. Um, but really, that's what it was. Special teams, I think, was was awful. And then it seems like Minnesota just kind of gave up. I know they Mm. obviously did not, but it seemed certainly, you know, their losses in five and six were different than their loss in game four. I think their losses in five and six, they just seem to not mentally be there again. That's my perception, but I think that's what really hurt them in the end. Dallas seemed to want it maybe just a little bit more.
3: What do you, I mean, if you had to theorize what's driving that, I mean, what, what is the leadership structure like there? And is it strong enough to push guys when they're in that what uncomfortable position, I guess, you know, of, of losing. And, and, and then all of a sudden you lose the series lead. And then all of a sudden you're on the road and you're, you're in a tough environment and bang. Now the other team's got control of the series and it all happens in a course of what, uh, four or five days. Who is it in the room that should be the one I would imagine like a, a Marcus Felino, maybe, or a Matt Zuccarello, but do they, are they the guys that are kind of driving, steering that room?
5: I mean, they generally are Jared Spurgeon's obviously wearing the C, but he's less mm-hmm. vocal. Marcus Fellino, the big loud voice in there as an alternate and Matt Dumba, another big voice as an alternate, but yeah, Zuccarello, Marc-Andre Fleury. I mean, there's a good mix of veteran presence with the youthfulness that Minnesota has that there should have been a little bit more. I also think Dean Evson could have stepped in just a smidge more. I think again, for the third straight year, Minnesota was outcoached a little bit. Dean didn't tweak maybe some of the lines enough as he should. Uh, but ultimately when it comes to that mentality that I spoke of ryan reeves i think uh summed it up best in our exit interviews with the players once the season wrapped he had said you know maybe we let the officials get into our heads maybe we let those Mm -hmm. penalties really get to us i know there was a lot of calls and cries for unfair officiating which i think went both ways uh but i certainly look at a five minute major and game misconduct against marcus felino in that game five that turned the tides and i do i think mentally they just kind of defeated themselves a little bit in that essence. And it could have been as a result of, of not feeling confident on their penalty kill and then taking some, some pretty bad penalties as well.
3: So how hot is Dean Evison's seat going into next year?
5: You know what we asked Bill Guerin and Bill Guerin shoots us straight, but not straight enough. Sometimes I think he's safe only because Currently, Minnesota is very salary cap strapped. Now, that doesn't necessarily apply to Dean Epson, but he still has two years on the contract. And I imagine owner Craig Leopold does not want to pay more people that are no longer mm-hmm. with the organization. Um, I think the assistants are probably getting a hard look at. Bob Woods has been around for quite some time. Brett McLean uh, and Darby Hendrickson as well. Again, those guys deal with the special teams. Those guys deal with faceoffs, areas that they struggled. Uh, but things have to change. I think Dean moving forward needs to be willing to not be married to his lines. We saw that time and time again, the past two seasons in particular, like, yes, when things are working, you want to keep it. But again, Dean did not respond to Pete DeBoer last year. He didn't respond to Craig Berube in the St. Louis Blues when they were in. So I think Dean's definitely going to have to look at this year differently than maybe he has in years past.
3: So when we look up around the weekend of the draft, um, what are they going to be up to knowing that you're staring down the barrel of Dumba and Klingberg, both uh, going to free agency, I would imagine some m- middle of the road uh, depth pieces like Nyquist and Sunquist, both unrestricted free agents as well. Um, what what's their plan? Uh, they've got picks to deal with and that they've got three in the top two rounds if they wanted to do something there, or is it more of a sit around and wait for free agency play for Billy Garren?
5: Part of me feels like it might be a sit around and wait for free agency. You had mentioned the defensive pieces that will be moving on. Unfortunately, Minnesota will not likely be able to keep Matt Dumba at the salary yeah. hit that he's at. So he will probably walk and test free agency for the first time. Um, but luckily the prospect pool for Minnesota is deep and that goes from offense to defense. But in particular with defense, you saw Brock Faber jump right into the playoffs after a devastating university of Minnesota loss in the national championship. I say that cause I'm a gopher fan as well. And that killed me.
6: Oh, I know. Yeah. That's it tough. was
5: brutal. Uh, but I think he played incredibly well, all things considered. He fit in very seamlessly. Um, he, a- among some other guys that are down in the American Hockey League, Bill Garrett is going to have to rely on those ELCs, on those cheap guys, unless he's going to package some picks and, and some players to go out. Because again, he is paying out of pocket for quite a few players. you mentioned uh, Gus Nyquist. He's gone. Would love mm-hmm. to try to bring him back. There's just no money. So I imagine free agencies where he might make a bigger splash, but who knows if something comes across his way during the draft too, might be active.
3: Do you think he tries to juggle goalies again next year as well? I mean, I would think that's the play, but I mean, I don't know if flower can play a full season anymore.
5: Right. I mean, and we saw that this year. I think that was the plan heading into the season was flower was going to get the lion's share. Philip Gustafson, an untested goalie. Nobody really knew that he had this within him. He wasn't given that opportunity in Ottawa had never been given this opportunity in his career. And he did great. I mean, he was one of the best netminders down the stretch of the regular season and he played fantastic in the playoffs. So I do, I think it'll be a rotation of sorts. If not Philip Gustafson getting the bigger load of starts. And I think Andre Fleury. Pittsburgh fans know this. He's a fantastic human. He doesn't care. He just wants to help win. And he was so good for Gus in between the pipes. I'm excited to see. I think Philip Gustafson needs to get in better conditioning shape. I think that's the biggest thing he needs to work on. But ultimately, it'll be some sort of rotation with probably like a 70-30, maybe even for Gus to flurry.
3: I mean, if if the Wild would like to be so generous as to donate one of those goaltenders back to Pittsburgh, no, No. Mm, it's Mm. worth a thought. I thought maybe... (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, maybe just if if there are two things, Penguin fans would like to have back in retrospect and look, they both made sense at the time. It's the Derek Broussard trade Mm. uh, where Philip Gustafson was sent to Ottawa and it's the Murray flurry decision, which made all the sense in the world at the time. But now in retrospect, you just go, Oh no. Um, So I guess, um, well, we, we appreciate you entertaining the thought for all of about, 1. Se- Two one I just
5: like him in the locker room. He's my favorite person to talk to. So that's oh, really just selfishly. He's just the best person I've ever spoken with.
3: He's a fantastic human. Tell him everybody in Pittsburgh said hello and misses him and loves him. And uh, thanks again, Jesse. I appreciate Great you uh, dialing us in on the wild just a little bit as we get ready to enjoy the summer. Thanks again.
5: Always appreciate it.
1: I'm Alex Rodriguez.
3: It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack had you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Great stuff from Jesse Pierce, NHL.com. She covers the Wild. We will keep it out west. Uh, she talked a little smack earlier mm-hmm. before we uh, started recording on Colorado, saying nobody cares about the Abs. Evan Rawal, uh, who covers. The Colorado Avalanche he joined us earlier in the season was so great. We had to have him back from Colorado hockey. Now, Evan, how are you?
4: I'm doing good. How are you? Uh,
3: we're okay. We're all in the same boat right now. Mm-hmm. Although uh, while the Penguins didn't make it to the playoffs, the Avs made it. And everybody, I think, expected that we were kind of bound for, at least I thought we were bound for a Western Conference finals repeat engagement between the Avs and the Oilers. We didn't get it. Uh, we get the Bruins bounced in the first round. We get the Avs bounced in the first round. Upsets all over the place. And the first question we have to ask is, what the heck went wrong? No depth. The Avs just do not have the depth that
4: they had last year, and it became more and more apparent. And once once Valerie Nachushkin left the series with you know his personal issues where there's still just a lot of mystery around what's going on there. Right. It really became apparent that the Avs just don't did not have the depth to, to keep up with Seattle. Who, I mean, we've already seen in the second round the depth is what they have. Everyone on the team can play, and it it was it was a big issue for the Avalanche throughout the playoffs. And they did not get a single goal from a bottom six forward in the playoffs, which is just remarkable. And when you consider it was a one goal game in Game Seven, that that that
3: kind of makes a big difference. So yeah. that that was that was the difference for the Avs. Well, it, does anybody look at it as sort of a, a tr- it's, it's hard to say one removing one person from the lineup. And and you just mentioned the as well. So uh, two people from the lineup, maybe, and, and people, I think, forget about, I don't want to say forget about Gabe Landeskog. You can't forget about him, but you know, he wasn't there for so long that I think people forgot about the fact that he was missing. And there is a huge trickle down effect. I would think to then guys being elevated. We've seen it here in Pittsburgh over the years where when they don't have the depth, Malkin or Crosby is out or another top six forward. Um, they don't always have, they have guys that are ready, willing to step up, but not necessarily always able. Did that trickle down effect when you took the Landis absence, when you, when you pile on the on top of that, is that what led to that depth being exposed?
4: Absolutely. I mean, Landis was gone all year. So it was something that they had kind of had to play around with all year. Sure. Um, but Nachushkin, that was just, it was a bridge too far for the team. Once he left, uh, they had already, you know, were missing guys. And they have basically been injured the whole year. But, you know, so seeing guys just leave in the playoffs was not a huge surprise. But uh, they they didn't go out and really get any forward help at the deadline. They got Lars Elder, who's, you know, he's past his prime. He's a yeah. defensive center at this point. He's not a big goal scorer. So once Nachushkin was down, they they didn't really have anyone to fit in. I mean, Matt Nieto was who moved in the top six. And Matt Nieto was you know he didn't he scored i think one goal in the last 26 games so that's kind of how bad things were for the avs but yeah it, it it really was a trickle down effect and you know landis cogs absence was really
3: felt in the playoffs uh, and obviously natrushenko as well well they've got an opportunity here going into the offseason to kind of remake all of that depth though right with i, I want to say everybody on the bottom two lines if not then some is an unrestricted free agent, a couple of restricted free agents in there as well, like Alex Newhook. Um, they've got an opportunity and look, the blue line is strong. I, I I don't know. Maybe you saw it differently in, in the series against Seattle, but I, I don't necessarily lay the issues at the feet of anybody on defense, but they're I, I think they're lucky in regards that they've built that out fairly nicely and can move forward with the blue line that they have for the most part. They've got an opportunity. To to remake the the bottom six, or maybe even the middle six, if you want to look at it that way. Um, what do you think their game plan is going into this offseason?
4: Well, the Landis Cog News gives them a little bit of clarity and that they mm-hmm. can kind of use that cap space next season. Uh, but yeah, they're gonna have to remake the bottom six. You got Darren Helm, who's likely gonna retire. Uh Andrew Cogliano, he could keep playing, but you know, he's 36, you know, he's played 1,200 games. He might call it a career two. And Matt Nieto is going to be an unrestricted free agent, so I don't I don't know if any of those guys will really come back. So they're going to have some some room to play with. They don't have a ton of young guys ready to come up and step up in the NHL, so they're going to have to find some guys. Uh, but, yeah, defense is in good shape. Uh, the one thing that they might do is, you know, they have Bowen Byron was up for a new contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, Devon Taves is one year from unrestricted free agency, and Sam girard has got four years. So... I could see one of those guys getting moved. This could be the year where one of those guys get moved, probably not Byram. Um, but one of those guys gets moved for a, for a sec for some forward help because they have a lot of high end defensive guys uh, signed moving forward. So it's just a matter of kind of spreading things out. Um, throughout the lineup, but that's something I could see happen.
3: Let's workshop some things here. You're, 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 you're singing some sweet music to my ears. Maybe as far as getting a top pairing compliment to Chris Letang in his last couple of years with the penguins, Devon Taves. Um, what, what, what's Colorado looking for in that kind of deal? Is it, you know, I, I, I think about a team that's, that's got so much in place. They're not necessarily building for the future. I don't think they're looking for draft picks, which works because the penguins don't have any to deal really. Um, is it, it you mentioned forward depth? But the Penguins are a team that's in a similar boat, and that their depth, for, you know, their 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 bottom six is just a disaster. So, what what do you think? I'll, I'll put you in I'll put you in Chris McFarland's shoes. What's he looking for?
4: It's it's got to be a top six forward who's you know got some term on it. So okay, they, the have I don't think they want to trade Devon Taves, and I, and they they might not trade him. It's just a matter of can they get him to agree to a long-term extension that kind of fits right. within the team? Because after Devon Taves, they have to deal with Miko Ritten in his next contract. So it just kind of keeps building on each other. So I don't think they want to trade Devon Taves. Um, Sam Girard is another guy who signed for four more years at 5 million. That's a guy that could have value on a lot of value on the trade market, just because he's a top four defenseman and he's young and he signed for a while, but, for Taves or for any of those guys, I, I don't think
3: they're moving him for anything more than a top six forward who signed for a while. Well, Brian Rust is signed for a <laughs> long time. I'm just saying, Evan, if there's any interest, we'll talk to people and see if we can intermediate something here. Uh,
4: I don't think that's going to be.
3: Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> I thought I had you for a second. The line was out there in the water and I I felt something and then it came up and it was a boot attached to the fish hook. It was worth a shot anyway. uh, The goaltending situation, what's it look like going forward? For the
4: first time in a few years, they're set and net going into the offseason. Alexander Georgiev was, he's kind of a revelation. I I think there was a lot of questions heading into the season about whether or not he could be a starting goaltender and he I think he played twice as many games as he's ever played in a regular season and he was he was great all year. He had some dips, but that's what any goalie does. Um really the only issue is Pablo Franco is the backup. He's a good backup. He just couldn't stay healthy during the year and he's already had off season surgery. Mm-hmm. Um so it's if, 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 if he's healthy they're they're set in net. They they don't have anything to worry
3: about there, which is nice. So when it comes around to draft time, I mentioned uh, the abs, they they don't have a ton of picks either. I don't think they have anything between the first round and the fifth round. I want to say it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, not necessarily a team that's building for the future. They're building for now. So when we get to draft weekend and then shortly after that, we get to free agency at the beginning of July, what do we keep an eye out for with the abs? How do they remake that bottom six? Do they look to maybe sign top six talent? Talked about possibly bringing some in in a trade and push that depth down a little bit on the forward units. Um, what, what should we keep an eye out for? What'll be the first thing they should jump on?
4: Um, that first round pick they, ha- they held on to it, the deadline. I'm not so sure they're going to hold on to it this summer. I think with okay. the Cog News, they have cap space. I think they're going to try to get creative and that's, they don't have a ton of trade assets. That's one they have. Um, I I think it's going to be on the market if they can find a top six forward that fits uh, free agency, not a lot of great free agents out there, in my opinion, just looking at the list. Um, if Jonathan Taves wants to continue his career, the As were linked to him, kind of following him all year long. Okay. I could see him being a guy that they try to fit in, probably more like a third-line center at this point in his career. Um, if they can find a, a second-line center, I think he's a guy who fits. Um you know, I think Evan Rodriguez is a the guy they're going to want to try to bring back, but it's got to be at the right price. JT is an unrestricted free agent, but he had the type of year where you look at him and say some team's going to really overpay him based on what he's done in his career, just based off of this one year that he had. So uh, I think they're going to look at some forwards. They don't really need to look at defense other than depth, but there's just not a lot of forwards out there
3: in the free agent market, so I think they're going to have to get creative in the trade market. Evan Rodriguez the streakiest player alive. He's fantastic really? for a couple weeks at a time and then disappears for months.
4: Yeah, he's he was very up and down which is why it's got to be at the right price. But he
3: he he sounded like a guy who really wants to stay in Colorado after the year. So. Yeah, it, it fit for him. It was a perfect fit in it, with his ability to move up and down the lineup, especially. All right. You're great at sharing the podcast on social media when you come on with us. And I know a ton of ABS fans listened last time you were on. So I want to say something to ABS fans right now. <laughs> I love you dearly. And I really like Nathan McKinnon. Seems like a great guy. But no, you cannot have Sidney Crosby for the last <laughs> few years of his career. Enough with that nonsense. Enough with that rumor. I'm telling you, stop. It's not happening. Not. We're building statues of Sidney Crosby that we can just drag out to center ice on the day he retires. So it's not <laughs> happening. I'm sorry. I had to get that off my chest. Evan.
4: I have a feeling that's not going to stop him. I, I get sent, <laughs> I get sent those photoshopped pictures of Crosby in an ass jersey every day. So it's I don't think that's
3: stopping oh. anyone. Keep hope alive, I guess. Keep dreaming kids. We, We appreciate the time today, Evan. Thanks again, as always. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Great stuff as always from Evan Rawal of Colorado Hockey Now. Thanks to him for joining. I feel like we're going down a list of teams that we are surprised are out already. We talked Bruins, we talked Rangers, we talked Avs, and now we talk Lightning. Maybe for anybody up in Ontario, they're not surprised that the Lightning are out. They really had some kind of belief in the Maple Leafs. I don't know. Maybe maybe the people in Ontario are actually the ones who were most surprised that the Leafs uh, made it through to the second round and the Lightning did not. Eric Erlinson of lightninginsider.com joins me now to talk about the Bolts' first round exit and their season as a whole. Thanks for the time, Eric. How are you?
1: Uh, I'm good. Uh, trying to get used to the short uh, uh, playoff run for the Lightning. It's been a while. Yeah,
3: yeah. When's the last time you've had the back half of May available to you? It's, it's uh, 2019. Yeah. I mean, it's been a while. So here we are uh, with the Lightning. I, this is a question I asked of Scott McLaughlin of WEEI in Boston about the Bruins, because they're they're staring down retirements in their case, right? And Bergeron and Krejci. But I'll ask the question uh, about... I'll ask the question about the Lightning. Are they aging out? I know they've done a great job of cultivating talent as they've been winning over the years, but are they starting to come up against some age issues?
1: No, they are, they're not aging out. They are salary capping out is is, mm-hmm. is the problem. I mean, you look at the... I mean, we just had lunch with a couple of other media members the other day, and you could put together quite a list of players who are part of the, the team's two Stanley Cup championships and mm-hmm. put together quite a team of those players who have left. I mean, we're talking... Uh, Blake Coleman and Barkley Goodrow and Ryan McDonough and I mean just go down the list. This year we're probably going to have to add Alex Kalorn to that list. I don't see any way that the Lightning are going to be able to bring Alex Kalorn back, and uh, and that's what it comes down to. Are Victor Hedman and Steven Stamkos getting older? Yeah, You at father age will always catch up to every single one of us. We can't escape him, mm-hmm. uh, and it's even worse for for, for pro athletes, but. I mean, Steven Stamkos still had a thirty-goal campaign at the age of thirty-two. You know, be, he'll turn thirty-four next February, so he's not at the end of his career. He's trending that way, but he's not there yet. Victor Hedman had an off year. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but I don't think I think he's a guy that can come back uh, and and be the effective player that he is. And. You know Nikita Kucherov is 30, Andre Vasilevsky is 30, Braden Point is 26, Anthony Sorelli is 25, Mikhail Sergachev is 25. I mean, you go down the list of the players who are still in their mid to late 20s that are still part of the core of this team. So it's not it's not age that's catching up with this team, maybe some fatigue because of the amount mm-hmm. of games. I mean, in particular, Andre Vasilevsky. You know, he's played 71 playoff games since 2020. I, I mean, that's, that's more than he plays in a regular season. So it's more than a season's worth of extra games. Plus, you add in all the extra overtime minutes and everything else. He was at 4,000 minutes. So um, it's not it, – with this team, it's not uh, age. It's cap and chipping away at the depth that they've been able to acquire and, and utilize to their strength, which, you know, this is really the first year you kind of saw the difference, the lack of depth
3: made. So, how does Julian Breeswa manage that this offseason, season, uh, knowing that he can't go nuts on the free agent market because he's got a big, a bunch of big numbers on the cap? Um, he doesn't necessarily have the resources uh, built around the draft. I think he's got three, two, three picks, maybe at the very yeah. end of the draft. <laughs> yeah. um, so he doesn't have those to trade. Is he is he creative enough to sort of uh, continue to replenish this roster on the fly?
1: Yeah, I think you've already seen him do some of that, actually. And you just go back to the Brandon Hagel and Nick Paul trades mm-hmm. at the deadline last year, right? Nick Paul was signed to a seven-year deal. Brandon Hagel still under contract for one year. Uh, and he was, a, you know, he comes off the best offensive season of his career. He was a great fit when Nikita off and Braden Point for a good part uh, of the regular season. Um, you know, odds are they'll get him tied up to a long-term deal. You know, the the, the deal to bring in Tanner Janot, I Look, I know it was a lot to give up, and he didn't perform, and and Julian Bresch was catching a lot of heat for that trade. But Tanner Jeannot was not brought in for this year. He's an RFA. Uh, the expectation is he will sign a longer term contract to keep him around uh, and get him comfortable with the system. You know, Mikey Asamon, the same situation, right? They bring him in from San Jose, you know, a guy in his mid 20s who's just kind of on that cusp of maybe finding out who he is. They sign him to a two year deal that's very team friendly. And, you know, and they're going to have to hope that some of their prospects, you know, they don't have grade A prospects because of the number of picks they have traded away through the years. But they do have some guys that they feel can come up and contribute. So that's how they're going to have to do this. They don't have a lot of money, uh, actually. As bad as the cap situation's been for the Lightning the last couple of years, this is probably the worst year. Depending on whether the you know look, the cap's only going to go up a million. There is some talk that maybe the PA will push for it to go up a little bit more. Maybe you know inject that inflator clause that mm-hmm. they have in there to kind of open up some more space but uh, it's it's going to be difficult there's no depth uh, there's no doubt the depth is going to be you know chipped away a little bit more again this year i think you have to look at a guy like Ross Colton who is a restricted free agent with arbitration rights maybe he's the guy you have to trade to get back some draft picks you know because you probably can't afford him so there's a lot of affordability yeah <laughs> at work here for Julian Breezeball he definitely has his uh, his uh, his hands tied and his work cut out for him
3: so w- when he's looking at, for example, you mentioned Kalorn, uh, That's probably a no-go just because of what the market rate is going to be for an Alex Um, uh, Are there other unrestricted free agents? You mentioned a couple restricted free agents. Are there other targets that he can retain that he has an eye on? Or it, it, when you look at the Lightning's roster, it doesn't seem like it's really primed for a bunch of turnover. So if that's yeah. the case, can they bring back, in essence, much of the same team <laughs> Minus Kalorn and a couple other uh, smaller pieces and say, hey, we believe we're still good enough to make runs. We were just tired. We just hit a wall or whatever it may have been in that series against Toronto.
1: They feel that way. There's no doubt, especially when it comes to Andre Vasilevsky, who admitted after the season was over that maybe he didn't handle himself. He had dealt with some new issues that he'd never dealt with in his career in terms of mental fatigue and some nagging injuries that he tried to push through. So he's always going to be the key as long as he comes back and can be the Vezina style uh, caliber goalie that he has been the previous five years of his career. Then they'll always have a chance. So they feel that way. As far as the UFAs, I'm not expecting Corey Perry back, not expecting Pierre Mm -hmm. Edouard Belmar to return. Uh, Interesting to see what they're going to do with Ian Cole, you know, with, with Hedman and Sergeyev on the left side. You know, they've got Hayden Fleury under contract, but is Hayden Fleury a guy that you're going to count on to take on some of the minutes and roles that Ian Cole picked up, who <laughs> picked him up for Ryan McDonough. You know, right. those, those are some important uh, minutes that they're going to ask that left side D to play. Um, so like the bottom lines, the bottom six will look different. There's no doubt a somewhat coming back really helps, but you know, with no Belmar and no Perry, most likely uh, th- that's the area that they're probably going to have the newest faces uh, mm-hmm. But it will be interesting to see what they do because the defensive depth, I feel better about their depth right now than I did maybe towards the end of the season because of the way that Darren Radish performed at the end of the year as well as uh, Nick Purbix. Um, but they still have questions on their depth on defense. And uh, that's the one area if they're going to f- target something in free agency, that's
3: probably where it will come and will probably become on the left side. The one thing we always come back to with Tampa, the one consistency, aside from some of the big names, you mentioned Vasilevsky, Stamkos, Hedman at the top of the list, is John Cooper. Um, And in the NHL, we know what the environment is. The easiest thing to change sometimes, just ask Gerard Gallant, is the head coach, even if he's not the primary problem. Uh, We're similar, though, here in Pittsburgh in that Mike Sullivan has been here. Two Stanley Cups. Uh, A lot of people say, well, fine, get us another one now or get us close to one. Uh, in John Cooper's case, the track record is much more recent, so I, I don't want to say is John Cooper on the hot seat or how much longer should John Cooper have to, you know, trade off the the cup rings that he's brought to Tampa? Because I, I think a he's a very good coach, and b um, he does deserve a lot of leeway. But what is his, I guess, what what is his position within this organization? In so much as is he is he here until he doesn't want to be anymore? You get the
1: sense that that's what the case is. And Mm -hmm. if you look at the way that the team performed, like I was one who didn't, I anticipated this was the year Toronto was going to get past Tampa Bay in the first round and finally break that curse. I didn't think it was going to happen the way it did. The lightning thoroughly outplayed the Leafs. Most of that series, the Leafs got six goals off of deflections. You know, they, they got the breaks that you sometimes need to have in a playoff situation. Right. Uh, so if you look at the way that the team actually performed in the, in the series against the Leafs, the Lightning with a better team. And that right. to me is coaching, right? They put together a game plan uh, uh, to devise a way. I mean, Cooper even said it during the series, we know how to su- have success against these guys. And they did, it, they just didn't score. They didn't score enough. It, they put it, they, they let, they let in too many goals. There's no doubt that that's where it always starts, but Austin Matthews scored five goals. Braden Point didn't have a goal after game one. Nikita Kucherov didn't have a goal after game one. That's ultimately where the series was decided was Tampa's big guys didn't show up, which is unusual. So when you kind of encapsulate all that, uh, I think John Cooper is still the right guy for this team. Uh, He just has a masterful way of relating to his players. And the fact that in the NHL, and we know how it works, the, the shelf life for a coach in the NHL is usually short. And usually the players start to tune out the message. The message is not being tuned out. And as long as that remains the case, and as long as the team continues to have success, then John Cooper will remain the head coach here.
3: So when we get to the end of June uh, in Nashville at the draft, and we push through to free agency starting a couple days after that, uh, what's the first thing we should keep an eye out for from the Lightning and what they may do this offseason?
1: Well, it might actually happen before. Like I mentioned, Ross Colton is a guy to keep an eye mm-hmm. on if, uh, you know, the lighting of a pick until at the fifth round, I think. So they're going to sit pretty bored at the table there at, uh, at Bridgestone Arena for a few hours uh, on day two before they even get a chance to go to the microphone. So if you're going to recoup recoup some draft picks, that's probably a guy to look at. Uh, if after that, it's probably going to be a quiet you know, the only thing you wonder, you know, they do need a um, backup goalie. I don't expect mm-hmm. Brian Elliott to be returning anytime soon. Um, so uh, that's the one area that they're they're going to be busy. If uh, Look, they just signed Matt Tompkins, who I think was Canada's goaltender at the Olympics last year. You know, is, is he a depth guy or is he a guy that you're looking at to back up Vasilevsky? I don't know the answer to that right now. So that's the one area I look at. Otherwise, I don't expect them to be busy. With the uh, unrestricted free agent market, the thing to keep an eye on is their own guys, right? It's, uh, you know, Brandon Hagel. I mentioned him. He's scheduled to be an RFA after next season. And the bigger one to keep an eye on is Steven Stamkos. He's entering the last year of his contract. Uh, He's eligible to sign on July 1st. So that's the one thing with this team. Just like last year when they came out of the gate and re-signed Sorelli, Chernak, uh, and Mikhail Sergeyev to extensions will actually be trying to keep their own guys. So they, if, if they're going to be busy, that's the one area you're probably going to have to look at.
3: Is that trying, blowing you up there on the phone, trying to find <laughs> out what, what's going on in Pittsburgh? Uh, no, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to lie, Eric. you supposed to lie right through your teeth. Yes. We have a very important oh, call coming up. No. I appreciate the time as always. It's great to catch up with you. We'll look forward to doing it again next season. But thanks for the time and breaking down what happened with the Lightning, not just in the first round, but throughout the year and we'll what to keep an eye out for with them this summer. Eric Erlandson, Lightning Insider. Thanks again for the time. All right. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. Be well. Yep. Thanks, man. Great stuff from Eric Erlinson, uh, who covers the Lightning, Tampa Bay Lightning for lightninginsider.com. Great to catch up with him. From the tropics to, well, another island of sorts, Stefan Roster of the Hockey News. Uh, he covers the Islanders, and he's, well, Long Island. That's where they play. Uh, Stefan, thanks for making the time today. How are you? No problem. How are you? Great, great. Um, and interested to hear what happened to this Islanders team that I'll be honest. I thought was because of the way they play, I always look at them and say, regardless of whether they're hot going into the playoffs or not, the last four or five years, I've always looked at them and said, I do not want to face them in the playoffs because they play prototypical playoff hockey, but it didn't work this year. What failed them in the first round?
7: Yeah, I think first off special teams, right? They uh, Mm -hmm. ended the regular season with the third worst power play in hockey. I think it was around 15.8%. And you look at the teams that make it, you know, when you get to the playoffs, Special teams is huge, and the Islanders five on five against Carolina, they dominated for most of that series. They dominated. It was just special teams went one for eighteen on the power play. They allowed five power play goals for the Carolina Hurricanes. So yeah, it's um that's not going to get it done. And yet Sorokin, you thought okay, if Sorokin came into the series, sure, he would have to bail him out a bunch of times. And unfortunately, he didn't really do that early in the series. Game two, you look at that at that game. Is it his fault of uh, the bounces? No, but there's a few goals in that game that. He's got to stop as the elite goaltender that he is, and it doesn't come through. Look at game six, that overtime winner that sneaks past Soroki, you know? You feel for him because he was elite that game. Yeah. Kept that game close. I mean, they were, Islanders were dominated in the third period. They tried to sit back with a one goal lead. It didn't work. And then that goal goes in. So it was a combination of a lot of things. It was also that main issue with the Islanders where in every postseason run, when they've come up short, is they couldn't get that one extra goal. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, if they get a goal in the second period, do they win that game and force the game seven? Probably it just didn't happen.
3: Well, have they considered, you know, when Lou Amarillo takes a step back and looks at how this thing is constructed, is he going to consider that as, you know, that that's the one th- through line or thread or overarching piece to this when they've fallen short the last few years is, hey, it, what I said, hey, great playoff style team, but they can't punch through for that one extra goal. You still have to be able to score he can't win everything to nothing. Um, is it going to change the way Lou Lamarillo manages this roster?
7: Well, we're trying to figure out if Lou's coming back. You know, all the information <laughs> has it is that his contract's up. He wouldn't talk about that the last time we spoke to him, which actually was in Tampa on April 1st. Someone asked him about it and he goes, maybe you get your facts right, something like that about yeah, his contract. He, he was down. not like, happy
3: about that, yeah.
7: No, and it's a you have to ask the question. We all sure. agree that we think that it's his was his last year, and we're figuring out right now that the long process of him not talking, because he hasn't addressed the media yet, neither is Lane, is they're trying to figure out what's next. If he's back, whoever is back, yeah, you look at, like, they need another elite forward. They got Bo Horvat at the deadline. You know, the offense wasn't really there during the regular season when he joined over. Barzal did get hurt. They only played six games together. And in the playoffs, he had one goal, which was a shorthanded goal in garbage time in a game. So he didn't live up to expectations, but Horvat's a goal scorer in this league, sure. But is he that elite sniper this Islanders team has been longing for? I I don't think so. That that guy, maybe Oliver Wallstrom turns into that guy. The problem right now the Islanders have to deal with is they have UFAs. They have to figure out if they want them back. They don't have a ton of cap space. And if they want to do sign a player like that or trade for a player with a high annual value, they got to move some contracts. A guy like Josh Bailey, who's at a $5 million cap hit, who was a healthy scratch often and did not play a single posting game, you know, you, you got to find a way to move on from those guys, whether it be a, including a draft pick or buying. You have to do something to alleviate your cap issues in order to make it even possible. I think getting a puck moving defenseman might be a higher priority because that changes everything. A puck moving defenseman might help get more offense as well as help the defensive zone as well. So, yeah, the Islanders have a lot of question marks they got to figure out.
3: Well, yeah, and I don't think people think of the Islanders roster in this way, but when you break it down, You're right. You you end up looking at, I want to say, eight or nine contracts at an average annual value of five million dollars or more per year. And that's that starts in a flat cap world or the cap only going up by a million dollars or whatever it may be. That becomes very difficult to manage with the escalating salaries of the Horvats and Barzals that you mentioned also. Um, So do they do they look to move some of those salaries out? And, you know, I've talked about this with several people now. The Penguins may be looking to do something like that. Uh, In their case, it's non-productive salary. Um, The Bruins may be looking to do something like that. They're up against the cap. Multiple teams are already talking about how do we move salary out in order to reshape things or give us the ability to reshape things. But we all end up coming back to the same issue we came to around trade deadline time, which was, well, who wants to take on salary in this brave new world? And there's only a couple teams you can think of here and there that may be young and feel like they're on the brink, the Senators, the Sabres, who are willing to take that salary on. And it it, it it seems like there's not many bedfellows to be made on the trade market in that regard.
7: And teams also know that those teams have to get rid of content. Exactly. So they, it's not like you could just dump a guy for free. I know like the Islanders did it with Andrew Ladd. They essentially gave him to the Irish. I just take the money. But now mm-hmm. teams are realizing, well, why? We might as well get something for it because we want to you know, win this trade as well. So I looked at, um, I did a story on Josh Bailey and the Blackhawks. Um, re- regardless of Bedard, obviously they're going to try to rebuild as quick as possible, but they're ni- over $19 million away from the cap floor. So they could take on, I mean, they're going to, they have, they're going to re-sign as many UFAs that they have in their RFAs. And it, it'll, they're not going to be you know, like truly sh- stressed with filling it. But a guy like Josh Billy at 5 million to a team that has, you know, Taves and Kane are gone leadership wise, right. Billy's played over a thousand games. He's been a true professional through the, the healthy scratches. He's going to get to play there. Again, Bedard, could he learn something from Bailey? Of course he can. People that look at Josh Bailey and say, he's got no value. He's regressed. The guy wears an A for a reason. Again, he's been around. He stayed in the NHL Uh, to go into a room with the Bedards and the other young guys that this Blackhawks team have. I think there's, there's beneficial stuff there. And again, cap wise, it works. Um, But like you said, there's not that many teams that can really do that. Arizona at some point, Arizona is going to have to stop doing that um, because they got to find a way to build forward because right now they're, they're doing all these things to what you're supposed to do, restart or rebuild, except they're not rebuilding. <laughs> they yeah. just keep taking on. So, yeah, I mean, you have Islander, other deals. The problem is a lot of these contracts, like an Andrews Lee who, who struggled mightily in the playoffs, you know, the Islanders aren't trading their captain. He's taking a $7 million cap hit, but they're not going to move him. Um, Matt Martin and Cal Clutterbuck, guys that have made up this fourth line for years, all spoke in their exit interviews about coming back and having a good season. And again, it depends who's in charge because Lou is loyal to a fault, mm-hmm. but he's loyal. So would he be willing to move on from guys like that? Probably not. So it limits who you can get rid of. I think Pajot at $5 million a year with Horvat coming in, Horvat does everything Pajot does plus provides more offense. And I'm not saying it's not important to have more than one guy that does a certain job, but I do believe that Horvat made Pajot a little bit expendable. You have Zizekas on the roster you can move him to three C or, or sign a cheaper, 3C and move Pajot because teams that are that are trying to take that next step to to win a Stanley Cup whatever it is Pajot is an NHL ready guy that could help in the playoffs so you have guys like that Scott Mayfield you could let him walk then you got to fill that hole so again there's a lot of things the Islanders can do the question is depending on who's in charge is that loyalty factor going to stop them from doing that
3: right and if they do bring back a very similar roster uh, how does it get coached into a different position And, and how much of this how much of this blew back on Lane Lambert after this first round exit
7: yeah, I definitely got out coached by Moore. I mean, it makes sense. Moore has the experience. Lane doesn't, despite being behind Barry Trotz for forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I looked at it more as his assistant coaches didn't do a good enough job this past year for him. I just wrote a column on that for the Hockey News, and I'll go into it a little bit. It is So he hires Doug Huda, who he played with in Detroit, right. defensive coach, penalty kill coach. He helped Murad Sider develop. So you looked at him coming over. Okay, can he help Noah Dobson take that next step? Can he help the young guys? Noah Dobson regressed. The yeah. defense as a whole, this was a defense under Barry Trotz that was one of the best defenses in hockey year after year. It was the reason why they not only made the playoffs, but went on those runs. If they didn't have that defensive structure, that's not happening. Um, Adam Pellick, even though when he was healthy, looked a bit better. He regressed. It Scott Mayfield struggled. There was a lot of guys that just the defense didn't look the same, and you were hoping who would help with that. And, again, Dobson was the biggest thing. You wanted to see him take steps forward defensively. We know he has the offensive talent. And he just regressed defensively. And you look at it as, okay, of course it's Lane's job to oversee everything, but you're bringing in a coach who specializes in a certain spot. They got to get that job done. That's how you keep your yeah. job. And you look at the, uh, the power play coach, Johnny Mack, John McLean, who wasn't supposed to be hired. Brian Weissman was originally hired. Then something happened there. He doesn't get hired. Lula Merle hires a buddy in Johnny McLean and the Islanders power play was atrocious to the point where they didn't make one change to the top power play unit until game six. They went the whole year struggling they finally take Noah Dobson off, but it, all that time you don't make move again. That's on lane for you have to push that. But at the same time, Johnny max being paid to run the power play. He right. has, you, you got to do stuff. And I think you look at lane first, year head coach, clearly going to be overwhelmed. He's going to make rookie mistakes. I think if he had more of uh, maybe the assistant coaches did a better job to help him, The honors don't have to wait till game 82. Maybe they still finish in the top wild card spot, but they're not waiting till game 82 to get it done. If the power play was, Five percent better, three percent better. It's a different ball game. They could still be playing right now. So I think yeah. I think Lane has a lot to learn, but I don't think his assistant coach has helped out a lot. And if Lane is back, I can't see any way John McClain's back. Maybe Hoot is back. But Johnny McClain again wasn't a Lane hire. That was a Lou hire. Lane could probably find someone that he wants to join the staff. But yeah, it's gotta be a team effort for sure on the coaching front.
3: Good call. Um, so when we get to late June and then a couple days later after the draft, and Isles don't have a first-round pick, but, you know, things get done at the draft, uh, and then free agency a couple days later, uh, what are we keeping an, eye, keeping an eye out for? What's the move that we go, oh, okay, now we know what the Islanders are about this summer?
7: Well, first off, it's, it's, it's deciding what you're going to do with Bailey. Are you going to trade Bailey at the draft? Are you going to buy him out when the buyout window opens up? That's the first order of business because you've got to make the clear-cut decision. He, if Bailey said that he wants me back, he's got one year left at 5 million, but he said, I don't want to be back. I don't want to be watching if I'm back. Well, right now you look at the roster. He's going to be watching next year if he's back. So I think he's going to talk with Lou, whoever's in charge, and they're going to probably find a way to make it work. And I think if a new gem comes in that maybe likes Bailey, they might keep him. But you, you look at, you know, it's funny. Barry Trotz always spoke so highly of Josh Bailey. Mm-hmm. Could he end up in Nashville? I don't know. You know, there's Ooh. things that got to be done. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but, you know, talk is cheap. If you really like the guy, yeah. go go bring him in. But again, I talked about Chicago. They could buy him out, which saves them 2.3 million um next year, but then it's you know they have to pay him again over time. So that's 1.6 the year after. So again, that's a year, not this upcoming year, but after Sorokin's a free agent. You're looking at him getting a max deal. You gotta have as much money. You know the cap's gonna go up, but you gotta have the money. So I think the first order of business is is starting to clear because last summer in August, when we were waiting to hear about Kaju coming to the Islanders and stuff like that. And that was really close. And yeah. the sources told me that that was very close to the point where Kadri's camp said to Lou, like, we want to sign with New York, is what, what I was told. And Lou said, okay, I, I just got to make the cap space. And come the end of August, that cap space was never created. You can't be in a cap strap in August. Yeah. Like that's you had The Islanders didn't make any moves to the deadline last year. You could have moved some contracts and put yourself in a better spot for free agency. And again, the Islanders, only one acquisition this summer, and that was trading for Romanov, which, which seems like it's going to work out. But, again, this is a team that had a, a lot of holes when there was talented players available. Not saying Kadri was the right guy. I don't think he would have been the right fit. But, you, again, that you have to figure out your cap situation well before August because you have to improve this roster. If you run it back with this roster, you know, again, it's, an, it's not that the core is completely old. There's a lot of young talent on here. There's a lot of question marks. And, again, the way they play. You know, they tried to play Lambert hockey early in the year. The offense was good. I think it was over 3.5 goals per game for the first couple of months. The defense struggled. And then when it was time for time they reverted to Barry Trotz hockey. So it really depends on, you know, who you're going to let go and who you're going to move based on the direction this team wants to go. If you want to get rid of this whole defensive-only structure, you've got to bring in speed and skill. If you're going to stick with this defensive structure, which I think doesn't make sense, you need right to me, the regular season and the playoffs are two different leagues, yep, two different exactly. sports. Yeah. Um, and you look at the teams that are they're like the New Jersey Devils, like speed is something that doesn't change. You know, even if the Devils are struggling to finish, they'll always have speed, which is hard to defend. You know, the Islanders have Barzal fast, and Engville, who's a UFA that's probably going to command money. You know, you don't have speed, but if you're not going to play that speed style of game, you're not going to drop a ton of money to get someone that's fast, you know? So yeah.
3: and, and I and really pro- think, yeah. you're You're probably never going to get beyond, you know, maybe a surprise conference finals trip as well exactly
7: and you look at all those years right they besides the year that they they finished second in the metro they barely Mm -hmm. got him in you know their style of defense only wears you down during the regular season where you'll get into the playoffs but you're not getting smoothly and Barzal, I, you know bars talked about it as exit interviews he goes i don't want to have to be fighting at the end of the season to make the playoffs i want to be looking at february and thinking all right we're good you know and the honors under haven't really had that and that's something i think would help a lot in terms of you know the injuries they always deal with and the age you know i'm not saying this team is ridiculously old that people are playing out to but you know maybe they don't play as much down the street they they save some energy and all that stuff i mean these guys go into the playoffs all banged up and bruised and they battle we saw them battle to get to the semifinals, but again it it wears it's wear and tear type of hockey which again i don't think works successfully for full 82 like i said the islanders didn't play that way for the first half of the season and they played to it to make the playoffs, but I just don't think it works.
3: Stefan, great stuff as always. I appreciate you making the time today. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, I, I think it's a team. Penguins fans are going to feel uh, the, the burr in their saddle for a while from the Islanders. They're going to be right there. It's just a question of, can you, like they said, can they punch through to that next level? We'll be watching them in this off season to see what they try to pull off in order to do so. Great stuff again. Thanks as always for the time. Thank you. Time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack had you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. Great stuff, as always, from Stefan Rossner of the Hockey News, talking about the New York Islanders. And we go back out west now, all the way out west, to Andrew Knoll of the LA Daily News. He covers the Kings out there and... Man, the last time we saw the Kings here in Pittsburgh, they were absolutely blowing the doors off the Penguins at a point in time where we were trying to figure out what the Penguins were. And it felt like we never really figured out what the Penguins were, at least on the bottom six. We know they're the superstars and then figure it out from there. What What are the Kings? Because it feels like this is a team that's gotten away from the image and the personnel that helped drive those Stanley Cup titles a decade ago. And... They're, they're very much in search of their own identity other than Anji Kopitar uh, and a couple of the other vets that are still around, Dowdy as well. Um, it, it feels like this is a team maybe in search of an identity. What happened to them in the first round, Andrew?
8: Well, I, you know, as far as the identity question is concerned, I, I think they're starting to find their identity. They went through a systems transformation that was pretty drastic mm-hmm. um, once they settled on Todd McClellan in particular. I think the... Sutter era kind of spilled over into the Stevens and Desjardins period, but Todd's put in a higher tempo, higher possession, uh, a little bit more active system. They just didn't have the personnel to really make it work. Uh, so now they are a lot stronger offensive team, a lot stronger team on the power play, uh, which for Kings fans is sort of a twilight zone moment. <laughs> They've been futile yeah. on the power play even during the, the gold, the golden era. So uh, yeah, that, that, that's starting to come around. Um, and then on the flip side, they, haven't had a lot of stability in net. So that's maybe made them seem like they've, they've made this radical transformation to an offensive team. Right. I think it, it's just, they've got to kind of make that last step to becoming a more comprehensive team instead of being a, a two, one game like they were, you know, at their peak. And of course they still have Kopitar. They still have Dowdy. Uh, there's, there's still some links there. Um, but other than that, they didn't have a ton of experience. They didn't have a ton of, you know, man's bodies. And I do think that they, Pushed around a little bit against Edmonton and some of the other big teams in the West.
3: Yeah, second time in uh, or second year in a row. Pardon me to go out against the Oilers. I don't think there's any shame in going out to the Oilers with all the talent on that roster. But um, how how did they plan to stay with that team and how did they fail to execute that plan? I guess in a first round where again there's no shame in going out to the Oilers given the speed and the skill there. But how did they plan to slow it down and then how did they fail to execute that?
8: Yeah, I think you touched on something important that it was, it really was a matchup type exit. I think they would have had a, a much better shot against really any of the other six qualifiers in the West.
6: Mm-hmm.
8: Um, but beyond that, it was something of an arms race. I mean, we saw the Kings go out and get Fiala, who was a huge addition in the offseason. Then they, you know, make the deal with Columbus, kind of check two boxes with one deal at the trade deadline. But Edmonton was pushing strongly too. I mean, they bring in Hyman and Kane last year. I mean, what perfect compliments to their big guns. Uh, Nugent Hopkins moves forward, then the deadline, they make, in my opinion, probably the best move that any team made, bringing Matias Ekholm, uh, you know, taking the, the totality of that circumstance uh, into account, and that they get bigger up front, too. I mean, these guys, Costin, and, uh, you know, the acquisition of Bugstad. So, um, you know, Kings made a lot of strides to keep up with them, and then they made some more moves themselves. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that cat and mouse goes who has the cap space to keep making moves, who has the wherewithal to make the right ones. Uh, because I think the two teams are going to be chasing each other quite a bit in the Pacific division. What's the what's the
3: overall fan reaction to what they did at the deadline? Gavrikov, Corposalo, you mentioned the Columbus deal. They're both unrestricted free agents now, though. Um, yeah. Don't know if they have futures in L.A. or if they go out and test the market. Those are really the only big names that are uh, unrestricted. I think Alexander Edler may be a free agent as well, but uh, what, w- without much roster turnover forced by free agency this year, how do the fans feel about the moves that were made at the deadline and whether this is a team that can continue to compete going forward?
8: Well, you know, fan sentiment is always a little bit of a tricky thing, but I would I would say the pulse would be more so that people were satisfied with Gavrikov and what he brought to the table. Definitely. He integrated himself really quickly. He had a strong series against Edmonton. And I think by and large, you know, people want him back, both inside the fan base and inside the locker room. Uh, Drew Dowdy's talked about that. Matt Roy, a number of guys on the team uh, with Corpus Allo, it, w- it was the best goalie available move. And as yeah. you know, a lot of times it's really hard to get a goalie at the deadline. I remember 2019, the Sharks were really looking for one and, they had to settle with what they had. I mean, there, there are years where no roster goalies move or something really cumbersome like the flurry trade. So that they were able to get somebody in there to give them another option was a good thing. We'll see about the future. Um, I think at this point, they would like to bring him back because they don't really have another option. But if something comes along where maybe a guy is on an ELC or a bridge deal and he, they think he's a strong option for the future, that could happen. Uh, they do have Koppel under contract for next season. Uh, but I think they would like to bring back both and, uh, with, with Gavrikov probably being the higher priority.
3: So if, if they look at their roster right now, Andrew, and they say, okay, we're happy with what we have. We don't have a ton of cap space, but we're, we're not looking at a ton of, um, you know, free agents leaving either. We'd like to prioritize Gavrikov if we could. Um, I I think they're you, you mentioned settling into what Todd McClellan wants them to do. Um, so if Robitaille, Blake, McClellan are all happy with what they have and they're, they're going to push forward basically with what they had this year, um, what helps them make that next move or take that next leap? Or do they simply look at it, as you mentioned before, hey, it's a bad matchup. We got the Oilers in the first round. What do you want us to do? Um, anybody else we're talking about a second round series. Do they look at it more that way, or do they look at maybe making some surgical maneuvers rather than anything wide swathing?
8: Well, they better have them look at it that way. Cause there's a great chance they'll be facing Edmonton again and again. And again, I mean, the divisional setup really puts them on a collision course. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think that they're thinking, okay, how can we keep pace with Edmonton with every move? It's not that level of obsession, but they, certainly can't think that oh well we got a bad draw and we won't next time because it's very likely these teams continue squaring off right um I, but on the flip side i think they have a lot of built-in runway if you look at it, this build has been very unconventional in the sense that you've got a couple ties to the old the you know veteran guys from the old teams and then you've got a number of bridge players that they've brought in but their top prospects really haven't made much of an impact yet Quinton byfield is starting to find his way arthur kaliev has shown flashes uh, Alex Turcott has missed considerable time to injury. Brant Clark is on the way. He had a hell of a season in junior and spent a little bit of time up with the Kings as well. Um, so these are the guys that they were trading up for that. They were picking at the top of the draft really only gave Velardius started to materialize. And that was just this season. That's another thing they have to look at this offseason. He He's an arbitration eligible, restricted free agent. So that's another thing that's probably going to prompt them to have to jettison a contract or two in order to, accommodate the guys they want to bring back. Um, But yeah, I think they're in a good position to continue improving without making any drastic moves.
3: So all that being said, if it's, if it should be a relatively quiet summer in LA, when we get to draft weekend uh, at the end of June and then free agency, a couple days later, um what should we keep an eye out for the kings uh and what they may do what may be if there's really very little to do is it really just all about like i said the little surgical maneuvers of hey let's do what we can to re-sign gavrikov and kind of move forward from there because we like what we have
8: number one thing they'll be looking at is their goalie situation in terms of both opportunities in the trade market and how to resolve the existing log jam that they would have if they brought in either another goalie or re-signed Korpisalo. Because Cal Peterson is sort of the elephant in the room right now, mm-hmm. $5 million cap hit, spent the majority of the season in the minors and did not perform particularly well at that level. So they were on the hook for two more years. That could be a real impediment to them. You can't just stash these guys in the NHL like in the past. Yeah. I think he counted for over $4 million against the cap this season. So that's something that they've got to figure out, both in terms of improving the quality of their goaltending and resolving that situation the draft you know they've traded out of the first round this year and next that has been i think a sign of progress for the organization before they were just Mm -hmm. futures really Uh, and that was probably the prudent move now they're investing and, and tweaking the team so yeah overall i think you can see small moves but in net they've got a big question and if there's an opportunity to answer it get some resolution they will definitely look to do that
3: Andrew, great stuff. We appreciate you taking a couple of minutes. It's been nice to spin around uh, absolutely everywhere, even though you guys, like I said, are all in the same boat now as Penguin fans. Our team's out of it. But uh, you're in Southern California, so you get to go outside and enjoy it. Uh, And uh, we appreciate you taking the time to do it. We'll catch up with you again once we uh, wind back around to the regular season.
8: My pleasure. Thank you, Chris.
3: Great stuff from Andrew Knoll of the LA Daily News on the Kings there. And we stay out west, but we go a whole heck of a lot farther north (laughs) and bring it back this way just a little bit. Scott Billick of the Winnipeg Sun joins me to talk about what I think may be of all the teams we've talked about so far. And we've gone Bruins, Avs, Rangers, Isles, Lightning, What? All over the place. I think this is the most interesting situation of all eight teams eliminated in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. So, thanks for making the time, Scott. How are you?
6: Yeah, I'm doing good. Yeah, anytime. Yeah, and uh, as north as it might be, it's pretty nice here today. <laughs> so I'm, I'm 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 not complaining. Yeah,
3: it's it's getting to be that time of year where it gets warm even in in Manitoba. So, um, let me ask you this. Um, The reason the Jets are the most interesting situation of the eight teams eliminated in the first round, to me anyway, is because of the myriad of questions that exist around all of the important personnel. Rick bonus uh, was very clear about how he felt about this team uh, down the stretch. And at the end of that first round series, Uh, the leadership of this team, uh, the wheelers, the Shifleys of the world, Um, they were very clear that they were disappointed with themselves in some cases. Um, this could be with the number of unrestricted free agents, at least in the bottom half of the roster, um, with bonuses situation with so much up in the air, this could be really a summer of upheaval in Winnipeg. So let's start with this. Um. What failed them? Because there were times this year where they looked unstoppable, especially earlier in the year. Um, And then there were times down the stretch where it felt like they couldn't get anything
6: right. Yeah, they failed themselves, to be honest with you. Like, I mean, that's what failed. They failed themselves. Like, if if you look at the first half of this season, you'll find a team that was up to January 15th of this year, first place in the Western Conference, like above the Vegas Golden They had one of the best records in the league, obviously, at that point. I think at one point they were third in the NHL, maybe fourth around that area in terms of their their overall record. And and they got there by playing a style of game that, uh, you know, some context here. The Winnipeg Jets for the last few years have played a uh, a very much a game where it's like, okay, hopefully we can catch lightning in a bottle for five minutes in a game, score three goals, and walk away with a win, right? This year, Rick Bonus comes in. And implements an actual system into this team that 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 is predicated on hard work aggressive forecheck um you know activation of the defense which you know seemed like this was this foreign um you know concept before before he came in this year um i mean you know, rick bonus turned josh norcy or Josh Norsey, uh, that's that 40 and slip josh Morrissey into a <laughs> norris candidate right and and so you know that all that happened within the first half. You know the first up to January fifteenth, let's say. Right. You know, right, right around the end of the new year, and, after, right around the beginning of the new year. And and so you know we we see this team playing such a great brand of hockey. It, it's it's aggressive. It's heavy. It's it's it, it it's speedy. You know, and, and they're playing to a lot of different strengths. They're getting great goaltending from Connor Hellebuck as they always do. And then it just, it just ceases to exist, you know, like they, they ceased to play a winning style of hockey. And and, and that's the biggest question, Mark, I think on this whole year is why did they quit playing that way? It showed them, it led them to a lot of wins. It led them to a lot of good feelings. It led them to, you know, career years for a lot of these guys from Mark Shifley scoring 42, cracking the 40 goal mark for the first time. Josh Morrissey, obviously I mentioned earlier, career highs across the board. All these guys, like almost every guy in this team, was either touching career highs in terms of you know, like even like, let's say, top six guys that sort of or middle six guys. A lot of defensemen were, were, were coming out. Dylan DeMello turned into a goal scorer at, at times. Like, there, there was a lot of things that happened, but they, they just stopped playing that brand of hockey. And, and and it, I don't know why, and and a lot of people here don't understand why because it, it led them to wins and then when they went on and they lost 9 of 11 they completely got away from that game but part of that they'd gotten away from that game earlier than that and they were still winning games just on 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 talent alone um and Connor Hellebuck being as good as he can be at times and but then yeah and it was just it was a struggle from that point on to find that game again they found it the last month, three weeks of the season, um, they looked as good as they did before. And then their analytics were great. And then they hit the playoffs, played a in tremendous game one, right? Like that yeah. game one against Vegas was the exact blueprint. That is how they played in the first half of the season. And then they decided not to play that game again outside of the first period in game two. You can call the pushback in game three to get it to overtime, whatever. Yeah, it, My point was they caught lightning in a bottle in that game. And that's the way that this team used to play, and so they fall back on these old habits and and stuff like that. And at the end of the day, you know, they get bounced in five games, and yeah, it leads us to where we are now. We're, we're going to be talking about guys like Mark Scheifele, Connor Hellebuck, Blake Wheeler, Pierre-Luc who may not even be here next year. And this team had something in that first half of the year, and, and they let it slip.
3: So where how do they reconcile all of this? Uh, a team, including the leadership group, who failed each other uh, yeah. down the stretch with a head coach who let them know <laughs> that they were yeah. failing each other very clearly, and now yeah. they're all supposed to walk back into the same room this fall?
6: Yeah, I mean, it, it's an interesting thing because, yeah, I mean, Rick Bonus came out after Game 5, and everybody's seen it now. 56 seconds, I believe it was, of... Yeah pure being just he was pissed off right i mean he was mad i I think i think there was a lot of air let out there from that that it built up um i mean he said it and and you could see it during the last half of the season like rick has never been a guy who has um hit his emotions i think though during the second half of the year when they were going he had to uh, coddle is an interesting word but you know there was times where he had to um more hold your hand than than you know be that angry be the angry dad or the disappointed grandpa or whatever right mm-hmm. like he, he wasn't he couldn't do that because i don't think you're getting the response he saw what happened after he he benched mark shifley in carolina um mark shifley didn't play very well for the next nine or ten games and you know that's a problem in and of itself um and you could spend a long time on mark shifley and the way that he's played over the last few years but. um yeah, it's, it's just one of those things where I think, he, I think he just he let it out. And, you know, it was interesting because we get to the Garbage Bag Day interviews on, on, on the Saturday. They got bounced on, on, on Thursday. They did the Garbage Bag Days on, on the, the, the following Saturday, two days later. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you sort of expect somebody to come in there and say, hey, you know, like, yeah, we not, might not have liked what Rick said. But that's not the problem here. The problem is it was us, you know, like we didn't right. perform at a, at a level to a man. Not one of them said it right. And and, that, mm. and that's that's a bigger problem. In my opinion is that yeah. the, the, the accountability is not there. And it's just like they, there was <laughs> the joke around here was there was more pushback in that garbage bag day interviews than there was in game five for sure. Um, you And know, in a large part of this season. <laughs> right. And and so, and it did, it created this weird thing. Rick Bonus was not supposed to speak on Saturday. He came, they changed that at the last minute after he got, you know, thrown under the bus by 14, 13 or 14 guys <laughs> that day. He comes out and he kind of has to, and, and so he walked back, the word disgusted, he'd rather not have had yeah. that one. But here's my problem. And, you know, we've all been watching the playoffs. You watch what happened with Rod Brindamore after the Carolina, after game three in Carolina where they got, mm-hmm. got rolled 8-4. And, and Bryn Mawr gets upset at the team. And what does Carolina do? They respond, right? They respond right. And Come out in that game. After that game, uh, New Jersey head coach, Lindy Ruff comes out and wrecks, or, you know, railroads his team too. And, 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 and then you have Nico Heischer come out. And I think Damon Severson came out too. And they're like, yeah, like that's unacceptable. And that's just something that you would like to see around here in Winnipeg. When Boston got bounced in the first round, I mean, that's a huge upset. And, but Brad Marchand comes out and owns it, right? I mean, guys yeah. like that come out and own it. We didn't see that here in Winnipeg, and that's that's a big problem. So uh, where
3: does it um, where does it go from here? If it's not a a breakup yeah. of the boys, right? Uh, if it's the same room coming back, the same group playing for bonus, um, yeah. Un- unfortunately for the rest of the league, anyway. Um, fortunately for for Jets fans, that probably means Connor Hellebuck isn't going anywhere, um, and, and it it gives them. Yeah. A, an opportunity to try and run it back under bonus one more time. But again, with that dynamic that exists now, do some of the big names, some of the leadership pieces have to go out? And and can they necessarily pull that off this summer?
6: Yeah, I mean, it's a huge, it's, it's a monumental task this offseason for Kevin Cheveldayoff, the general manager of the Jets here. Um, you know, I think they can shed a guy like Mark Scheifele and, and Blake Wheeler and still be okay. Um, a part of that is, I think you know, that changes the culture and the leadership completely in this room, in this dressing room. Um, I, I think it opens the door for a, a bunch of different guys to, to you know, I think Jets fans would hope would change mm-hmm. um, the culture from within, uh, through you know, th- throughout the course of course the next couple of years. But one thing that a lot of these guys said at the end of the year was they don't want to be here for a rebuild, and and I honestly there's not really an appetite in this town for one. Uh, you know, I, yeah. I, tickets, season ticket sales have dwindled. Um, it, it's been a big issue here. Um, you know, there, some nights this year they're down 23, 2,300 fans at times. You know, that that's not a good thing for the second smallest. And, you know, you can't really right. mullet the smallest, obviously, in Arizona. Not really an NHL rink. So for the smallest nhl size rink here, In the league, I mean, this is a team that needs it sold sold out every night, and so, but you know, how do you sell? This is the thing. Like, if you're not going to trade Connor Hellbuck, you got to sign him to a sign him to an extension. Right. And I think I think the Jets would do that in a heartbeat. You're also going to make him the top paid goalie in the league, in my my opinion, because you know Andre Vasilievsky is making what he's making. I think Bob uh, Sergey Borovsky is also up in the ten million, but those guys are playing in, in 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 tax free states. Um, that you don't get that affordability here in Manitoba. So, um, you know, Connor Hellbuck's probably making north of 10 on some sort of extension. Um, and then you got Pierre-Luc Dubois. And I, I think, you know, if you can get Pierre-Luc Dubois to stay and, and commit to this city, I, I think you can get rid of Mark and Blake and you don't have to worry about it at really at all. You're going to lose the goal scoring, but the team is going to completely change under a different, you know, mm-hmm. I think Pierre-Luc Dubois would be in the, obviously in the running for a captaincy at that point it would be a different team. Um, But yeah, it's interesting. And, and, and the the problem is the vision, at least on the outside, we haven't seen it. Fans haven't seen the vision of this club. We don't really know what, you know, this team is kind of looking to do where it's heading. And I understand part of with players and stuff like that, you you know, you're not going to know right at the end of the year, if you're re-signing guys or whatever, negotiations, all that stuff. But, there's not a lot of hope in Winnipeg right now. And, and yeah. and, and Kevin shoveled it off. He spent 42 minutes on Sunday on the Sunday after the day after the player spoke and he answered one question, in 42 minutes. And that was, would Rick bonus be back? And he, you know, after, you know, going on for a little bit, he finally said yes. And so it, that that's what fans have to go with this summer. And I think there is hope that this team does move out guys like Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley because of some of the on ice stuff. Um, because Blake Wheeler and his cap hit and and, 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 and you know, father time was still undefeated and, and, and Blake is, you know, he's getting up there. He'd be 37 next season. Um, and, and, and the cap space that, that would open up if they were able to move at least half of his contract or buy him out, which would open up more.
8: Mm-hmm. Um,
6: but, you know, these are decisions because this team is very loyal. Um, you know, this is a team that still nominated Blake Wheeler for the King Clancy this year. I'm not sure this team wants to get rid of Blake Wheeler, and you know, and and you know he's got one more year left on his contract. But there's a lot of loyalty to Blake Wheeler. He was the captain of the team. I understand that you know they they stripped the captaincy from the beginning of the year, but at the same time, he was still the de facto leader in that room. And and so, yeah, I I wish I could tell you what was going to happen, but I just I don't know because I think there's still very much the possibility that they try and run this back, just as much as there's a possibility of them trying to you know retool on the fly um and i think i don't think we're going to really know the answer to that until we get closer to the draft and see what yeah. but not uh, you know who like who are you trading mark straight like who are you trading mark safely to what are you getting back are you, are you getting back a right. center probably not you know uh Connor hellbuck what's he getting you in a return i mean it would be pretty good but again it's probably going to be some top caliber prospects and maybe a pick I don't know if you're and, getting like a, you know, a top center, right? That what you need to replace potentially Mark Shifley and Perry Dubois. So, and, and good luck yeah.
3: making ca- the cap space work on all of these exactly. deals for both sides as well, yeah. man. Great stuff, yeah. Scott. Um, like I said, I think we saved the best for last because it's the most fascinating situation of the eight teams <laughs> sure, uh, yeah. that were eliminated in the first round. I appreciate you making the time today. No, it's going to no be time. something, like you said, I think draft weekend will be the, the sort of hinge point in the, in the summer and yeah. the off season for the Winnipeg Jets to see where it goes from here. But thanks again for making the time from up North. We appreciate it. And we'll catch up again once the regular season starts.
6: Yeah, for sure. I appreciate it guys. Thanks for having me.
3: Great stuff from Scott Billick of the Winnipeg Sun. I, I'll say it again. The Jets are going to be fascinating to watch this off season. If you're a fan of the NHL, even if you're just a Penguin specific fan. Think of the different targets you may have in mind from that roster. If the Jets decide, and it sounds like they're going to run it back more, more likely to run it back, but if they decide to tear it down and certainly goaltender would be at the top of the list. Although again, cap space is the problem here. How on earth would the penguins find the cap space to trade for a Connor Hellebuck and then re-sign a Connor Hellebuck? Maybe just a pipe dream. Maybe. Uh, we will continue as the playoffs continue to talk to all of the teams that get eliminated or you know, people who cover the teams anyway. And as the draft approaches towards the end of June, we'll talk to those lottery teams that are picking high. And of course, keep an eye on what the Penguins may be doing in their front office search as well. You know, all you gotta do, subscribe inside your Odyssey app, AUDACY or wherever you get your podcast, or go to YouTube, 93.7 The Fan on YouTube. And subscribe there to get the latest videos because we do this as a video as well. Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Every single week, we'll keep the episodes coming to you so you get the latest content on both the playoffs and the Penguins offseason right here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff.